Hey, Joe. Hello. We're back. We are. It's just you and me today. It is. Just flying duo. Is that uh, an expression? <laughs> it should be. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it should be. Well, it is now. Hmm. We've spread it to the minds of others, and once you spread an idea to the minds of others, there's no telling where it will That That go. is true. Once we, you know, Once we say stuff on this show, the kids can't stop saying it. Yeah, it spreads through the nation's high schools you just and don't middle know. schools. Yeah, yeah, it could happen, like a like wildfire. Yeah, like a proverbial wildfire, like a coronavirus. Oh, that's not. That's not good. No. Okay, sorry. It's also like you know that's that's insensitive. <sighs> it is a little bit. Should I? Say? <laughs> I feel like I should hit stop. <laughs> no, don't hit stop. Are just, you are you following this at all? The coronavirus. No, I just, I know that people are dying, which makes it insensitive of me to have said that. But mm. uh, and I apologize. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's um. Hmm. We could go into insensitivity. That would be an interesting issue. It would be. Like, at what point is it okay to, like, use something as a... Yeah, what I should have done is right after saying that word, I should have said, too soon. Because then I would have been, like, labeling the fact that that was part of the issue. Yeah, but that almost makes it worse, right? It it probably would have, yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm actually really interested in this stuff. You know, when I was a graduate student in the 90s, I had occasion to read, um... A book called *The Coming Plague*, ooh, uh, by Laurie uh, Garrett, who um, who now is, I think, very well known and and writes a lot in the kind of public health. Oh, um, I don't know what to say. Is it not immunology? Like I don't remember all these. But you know, it, it basically and so what was it about infectious well, diseases? It was about infectious diseases and okay. and global pandemics specifically. Yeah, or? The beginning, like you know, Ebola and Marburg and these mm. like really um, these hemorrhagic fever type viruses, oh, wow, yeah. which are deadly and like what why are they suddenly becoming a thing and then um but also pointing out you know hiv is very deadly and we've not beaten it yet and right. uh and that was in the 90s so we and, certainly had not not right. beaten it and, and and it talks about like the environmental causes and global and, economic causes of, and of sars diseases. was a yeah. another recent viral mm-hmm. problem but i remember at that time i was really fat i learned a whole hell of a lot reading it most almost all of which i've forgotten cool <laughs> Um, but I started following her on Twitter again because I think she's just amazing and writes. She's written some really good stuff about coronavirus and, oh. um, you know, whether we should panic. You know, we should not. But um, and some like practical advice for how to stay safe during because she's you know been to all these hot zones and yeah, you know, you take certain precautions and yeah. I don't, is there? I'm surprised that you would that you or she would frame it that way. Like, is it is it time to panic? Is there ever does that a question ever answered? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't seem like panic is particularly productive. <laughs> well, I mean, I, there might be time to. It might be you know, hey, it's time to focus, or hey, it's time to right. really like put in a lot of effort. Right. Hey, it's time to get serious, but it's time to panic. <laughs> uh, well, for the I mean, you know, I'm there, a little skeptical. There are going to be people in any crisis situation who can do nothing but hope that people in power do something positive right i mean you know not everyone can be a helper in a direct way you can be a helper in your own way so i I agree with you it's never a time to panic right but there might be a time for like resignation to one's fate (laughs) and that would be (laughs) and and again i wouldn't call that panic a lot of people might panic in that situation yeah other people might yeah when they see you becoming resigned yeah they might go oh you know, but the, I think the kind of, you know, the, the early stage of the outbreak, the dearth of information, there was maybe some secrecy in China, mm. which wasn't helpful initially. Yeah, it and does seem that way. So there's a lot that people don't know. And so anyway, I, I'd love to maybe, you know, we've had a few public health shows, at least a couple on health law. Yeah, that's true. Um, way back in the day we had some. Yeah, this it could be fascinating to revisit that at some point. Yeah. 
So what's new with you? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> this is that that is the sound of someone thinking, "Well, there's a lot new. What should I disclose on the show?" And uh no. and, and what um it, it, what should I not talk about on the show? I just then, didn't expect the question like what's new? like you don't usually ask me that and mm. we don't usually do that. Oh, it's just a you and like, me. Like you could say, you know, any like what's going on in Health Corner? Like that would be a little bit more targeted and I would know how to respond to that. Yeah. I was trying to leave the health topic entirely there, though. Oh, okay. So rather that, than do a, like a segue from yeah. one health bad joke to a health like, yeah, actual like because I had a bruise and it's that bruise is almost completely gone. That's a great update from Health Corner mm-hmm. for me because mm-hmm. um, the bruise was quite intense, right? Because I had an IV put in from a procedure a few weeks ago, and okay. and it created this very big bruise. But the bruise is almost all gone. It's just a little bit yellow now. I, <laughs> I'm delighted. Is yeah. are there any other details that you'd like to share about uh, that? No. Okay. No. Um, yeah, I wanted to leave behind health. You know, knitting was the other corner we had with you mm, for a while. Knitting corner is there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, as you know, I'm not a knitter. I'm not fascinated by knitting, but you know, I'm. Um, the beneficiary of other people's knitting sometimes, oh, cool. which is great. Yeah, uh, you made me a hat one time. I did, which is which was lovely. Um, I'm I've sure not got, I've not gotten anything since. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the hat is still lovely. It still exists, does it not? Oh yeah, absolutely. wool is a, is a pretty hardy fiber. Uh, like uh, I think you could probably bury wool and come and dig it up a long time later, and you'd still it's still be pretty much intact now can you can you knit with things besides wool oh sure sure like some kind of carbon nanotube fibers <laughs> a carbon nanotube rope yeah i think uh, that would be great right you know uh, cotton there's cotton yeah uh yarn there's uh, uh linen yarn there's uh, all manner of uh of yarns there's silk yarn there are blends of these things blends of wool and cotton and silk and all kinds of stuff uh i think uh what is the um is Angora the, uh, I think that's a rabbit-based yarn. Hmm. I, I think I've got that right. I, I don't know. It's, it, isn't it a, it seems to me like either a um, a brand of handbag or a place where the Greeks got together and talked about stuff? No, I think you're thinking of um, Agora. Oh, no, I'm, I'm afraid of that. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> that was a good one. I don't know. I don't that know. was not, super no, it was not, good. I almost not said a good one. it was I, not a good one. I almost said I think you're thinking of Ankara, mm. which is a city in Turkey. But I, then yeah. I went with Agora, and then you just you just you stuck the landing. Is it on pronounced Ankara or Ankara? Uh, we I, I I say Ankara, but I'd be happy to be corrected by uh, someone who is uh, familiar with uh, Turkey and mm-hmm. how people in Turkey pronounce the name of that place. Well, we have some Turkish listeners, so I hope they will chime in. Yeah. on that one. I mean, we. We want or just someone who's informed. They don't need to be ethnic right. Turks, surely, uh, to be informed about how people in Turkey actually pronounce the name of that place. There's a, there's got to be a term that we have to invent for people who will reliably send in kind of feedback where they kind of uh, um, uh, annotate the show, correcting all of the um, incorrect things. That's a very heavy burden. Yeah. That's a that's a real task. It's got to be argue something like ar- right. ar- argue argue editor argue mm. argue flagger argue. Mm. Uh, so they're not argue knots. They've gone beyond the argue knot at that point. At the point they right. start annotating. Oh, the so it's meta argue knot. Ooh. Uh, here's the thing, though. Okay. Um, what is the email address where they could send this stuff? It's feedback at oralargument.org. 
Cool. Man, that's a that's a slick email address, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's certainly uh, it's certainly an email address you might intuit on your own without without ever having heard it. Yeah, and we want email there. You might say, "Oh my gosh, I bet if I emailed them at feedback at oralargument.org without even having heard that, yeah, I bet I could email that, and I bet they would get it." And you and you'd be right. I, I registered the domain, so I pay for that each year, and then I also sprung for this email address, so people need to use it. Yeah. Like, I want that mailbag. It's not going to use itself. No, no. I've, I've tried. It I mean, if it, itself, if it yeah. does use itself, we have an AI problem. I'm, yeah. We have several AI problems. One is that AI is aiming a little low. <laughs> uh, two, that AI is, should probably not be out in the wild. We digress. Yeah, we, we digress. I mean, uh, this, is, this is good coffee this morning. You, d- you made some good coffee. Yeah. So we're fueled by coffee, by our domain name register. Our mm. email provider, which is the same, mm-hmm. and uh, Fireside.fm, that's Dan Benjamin's uh, podcast hosting company, which I recommend for other podcasters. Nice. I've really, it's it's just made life so much easier than having to yeah. go through two things. So, it, you know, anyway, the, it's so great. it's all brought to you by. This is our brought to you by. Segment. Okay. Remember, remember when they used to say brought to you by? Yeah, brought shows? to, this is brought to you by Corner. Right. And, uh, which sounds like it's brought to you by a thing called Corner, but it isn't. Mm. It's the corner where we talk about brought to you by. Right. Um, now, I'm looking at the show clock, Joe. Okay. And it's at 9.25, so I think we've gotten to the point where we've shaken our shoes out, shaken loose the Good. casual listeners. So yeah, if you, you want to get into... We do have a serious topic for today. We have a topic. I don't I don't know that I would have serious, I would call it. I, I think it's kind of serious. Okay. I don't know. I, but is there anything else we should cover? No. Um, uh, we haven't talked about uh, the fact that we are still enjoying this very new, very posh equipment. Yes. Yeah, program note. You, you might listener think we sound better uh, than we had in the past and and i think you're you'd be right about that because the sound quality from this equipment is quite good it's really good it was good before yeah uh and you it took a lot of effort to make it sound good and some weeks i would put in more effort than others this is like automatic so one of the main features of this equipment is like it's easy um Mm. i've made some adjustments that we're a little louder this week probably than last week maybe a little too loud we'll find out you know, they can send feedback on that too. They can sure, annotate sure. that, right? You know, I've analyzed the waveforms the email might read. Yes, and I find that you are a little, you know, you're a little punchy in the 24k region. Yeah, coming that, in a little hot. Say, yeah, on that, you can say what you want. For sure. And we've maybe maybe have turned it up too much, but it should be okay. I've got like a compressor on here. I've got like a Unison mic, and it's all yeah. kinds of stuff is going. You on can here. also just send an email that says the word "awesome sauce" Ooh. and nothing else, mm-hmm. which I think we would interpret as being a quite laudatory and congratulatory and <laughs> and i think that would be great right i love it how you always solicit the positive feedback and 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 i solicit the negative feedback but don't really and then i only do that so that you will say don't send that mm. okay let's continue so what is this so you you brought a topic so you know we're gonna have a guest uh next week and we were we were trying to get it done for this week but like you know things are you know life and and, and then you said how about we talk about this other thing this week just yeah. you and me and I'm like, yeah, let's let's do that. And so what was this thing that you brought to my attention? So I saw the the only thing I had seen when I brought it to your attention was the headline. Um <laughs> and okay. And but I but I knew from the headline that it sounded bonkers enough to be interesting enough to look at for a few minutes and um and that it would trigger me in some way, oh. which of course it trigger. It mm-hmm. it would uh it would spark, it would provoke, yeah. which it did. Um uh, so Senator Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley, uh, uh, Senator from Missouri and uh, former Attorney General of the State of Missouri, um, released this thing yesterday, a proposal, 
uh, the title of that proposal, uh, it's this little policy document, right? It's not a bill. It's not draft legislative language, but uh, it's overhauling the Federal Trade Commission, right? This little seven-pager, and I would commend it to people. I think it's worth looking at. Um, uh, and and the headline was, you know, Hawley uh, proposes um, eliminating the FTC and moving it into the DOJ. And, and that is actually in here. So that person writing that headline was sort of getting a thing that he was proposing. Uh, that's not all that's in here. It's a, it's a as I said, about seven pages. Yeah. Um, Can you start by just telling us, like, what, what does the FTC, like, generally do? And then... Oh, I'd be happy to do that. And how, how does it... What is moving it into the DOJ? Like, DOJ's Department of Justice and, right. and, and so, how what's in there now that yeah. this would be folded So the, the Justice Department has an antitrust division and uh, has... A- antitrust. Uh, and the antitrust division's been very active yeah. since the um, mm, re- really right before the first Franklin Roosevelt administration, and then and then really got moving uh, in a big way ap- after that. Uh, there was some TR level. Anywho, uh, history of the antitrust division is quite interesting. Putting that to the side, so these are lawyers in the Justice Department who would use federal statutes to prevent. Um, to try to from, adri- from getting too big to prevent anti-competitive behavior, et cetera. Yes, and to this try to really address, got going in the 20th century. Yeah, with with uh, with public enforcement uh, in the civil and criminal area to try to uh, address harms to competition. And the Sherman Act, which is the primary federal statute that uh, provides the substantive law in this area, or that empowers the courts to provide the substantive law, because it really is a common law delegation, basically, uh, Sherman Act is passed in 1890. Takes a little while for things to sort of get organized. Sure. Uh, big case, uh, two big cases in 1911, uh, Standard Oil of New Jersey against the United States and uh, United States against Amer- American Tobacco, uh, really kind of set what we think of as the contemporary stage or the modern stage of, of our understanding of the Sherman Act. Uh, the um, Congress in uh, 1914, out of some concern that uh, – things weren't being done effectively and uh, forcefully enough, uh, passes some additional statutes. Uh, one, one is called the Clayton Act, mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and this is 1914, if I got my, if my memory serves. And the other is this Federal Trade Commission Act, which creates an independent commission. So it's not an executive department like the Department of Justice itself or the Defense Department or something like that. It's a separate agency. And it's got five members who are the members of this commission, the commissioners, and they have staff and et cetera. And the one important thing the Federal Trade Commission is tasked to do is to help better enforce the antitrust laws to say, you know, against monopolization, against uh, um mergers that would harm competition against uh, restraints of trade through right. combinations and contracts and the like. As, as part of its mission to protect consumers. And we yes. should say... Uh, now, it has other consumer yeah. protection stuff. So, for example, people listening who aren't lawyers or even who are lawyers... <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. All right. Darcy, it's time to go. Go on, go on, go on. Go on. Darcy, why don't you go? I think I'm just going to leave this in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, Bradley. Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, Darcy's off for a walk. Bye, Darcy. Come on, Darcy. Um, 
<laughs> people have probably heard of uh, like the do not call list. Remember when that yeah. was a big thing? Well, that was a Federal Trade Commission initiative. They are the ones who I think were running that and administering that. So their consumer protection stuff they do that's about like consumer fraud and other false things. Advertising false advertising and, and, and yeah. pestering and other marketing related stuff. Right. Uh, uh, so uh, privacy policies mm-hmm. of various uh, big tech companies, for example, can, right. can run afoul of FTC stuff. So they've got a consumer... So if you think about part of the goals of antitrust is to make markets work better and that's good for consumers, you can understand why a consumer protection rationale might be a good umbrella for both of those things, even though the implementation in the great in the detail will differ quite a bit. Uh, so on the antitrust side, uh, preventing restraints, unreasonable restraints of trade, monopolization, you've got overlap. The antitrust division of the Justice Department does some of the same stuff right. as the Federal Trade Commission does. Now, there are things the antitrust division does that the FTC cannot do, uh, principally enforce criminal prohibitions that are in the antitrust statute. So they could prosecute you and put you uh, in jail Um, if you're a natural human being and try to punish you if you're a corporate human being, corporate being, Mm -hmm. a corporate person. Uh, The FTC can't do that. Uh, the FTC does stuff the antitrust division doesn't do. We were just talking about some of it. Right. Consumer protection stuff. In terms of substantive areas. Yeah. Right. So the Venn diagram, and I'm now making circles in the air, mm-hmm. right? Um, the Venn diagram, like there's overlap and then there's separate stuff for right. each. And this one. is not unique to the FTC. I think there are all no. kinds of other substantive areas of of where the feds have some jurisdiction or some statutes that where agencies either cooperate, um, especially with the Justice Department, but not only with the Justice Department. There's overlapping authority in lots of areas, including with White House offices. And, sure. You know, you know, OMB is a famous example of a kind of coordinating agency. Yep. And uh, with respect Within to- the White House. With, yeah. with respect to criminal prosecution, of course, you've got U.S. attorneys' offices that are, are actually the, 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 the principal line prosecutors in the federal system. Yeah, and the, these are, by that you mean, you know, there's a U.S. attorney for the State of Southern Act. District of New York right. or for a, st- yeah. a whole state or for portions of states. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the- C- Can we just say, too, about the FTC, I don't know if you were going to go here, about how it's an independent agency, and, and you, you mentioned that there were five members, yep. and the way that they're appointed is different, the way they can be removed is different. They're yep. kind of the, and this is, I think, a part of Hawley's proposal, right, is, is a concern about accountability there. Do you want to say anything about that? Oh, sure. I mean, the, uh, and it very much seems to be part of his proposal. His proposal is, it, it's funny. Um, uh, the the title of the proposal, which I already mentioned, overhauling the Federal Trade Commission. I mean, that's that's uh, that's Joe Catnip. I mean, I like I'd love to overhaul the Federal <laughs> Trade Commission. That sounds great. Uh, yeah, we'll come back to that because you have talked on, even on this show about like mm, an idea about that. But. but the but the document itself is sort of deeply incoherent and ah. um, and be, be, even within its own terms, right? So, really? So it raises accountability concerns and says, ah, the way, for example, the way to address accountability in the context of the Federal Trade Commission is to reduce the number of people down to one who's in charge of it instead of five commissioners, right? Reduce that to one and put it within the Justice Department so it's more a conventional cabinet thing. And then it later on says, ah, the way to get more accountability is to take enforcement and make concurrent enforcement among state attorneys general. So you're literally doing the opposite thing for the same purpose, which is to promote accountability. So what's your theory of accountability? Right, well, let's come back. You to at least got to yeah, say more. Yeah. About it. Like, so it strikes me as deeply incoherent, yeah. um, and and that makes me suspect that it's not really about accountability. But I will come back to that. Huh. So the, the I um, didn't have the same reaction as you did, but then I'm not as versed in this. But can we go back to the yeah the the because I, I want to hear more. But um, 
But let's step back about the five-person independent agency thing. What makes that different from, say, other agencies? And Yeah. So yeah. There, are a, there are a number of these. I think the Securities and Exchange Commission, the Federal Communications Commission, uh, Federal Trade Commission, that have this sort of- I think of, the Election Commission, too. Federal, federal Election Commission, yeah. right? Have this sort of five-member or seven-member. I think five is honestly a, a, the, more, the most common. Uh, and, and, and they were all formed at roughly the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the basic approach is uh, you can't have more than three commissioners of a single political party, and the statutes say this, right? Uh, and uh, the president can uh, pick uh, the chair, perhaps, or designate from among the members the chair of the commission, right? Um, but but the chair the the commissions the commissioner terms themselves are fixed, right? In time, like five years or something, and they're staggered. Like that. And they're staggered. Yeah. So, so you get so a president, unless a president serves two terms, a president almost certainly wouldn't be picking all the commissioners. Moreover, even if the president were picking all the commissioners, the president can't pick all commissioners of the president's party. So, the Senate, which has a confirmation, a confirmation process role, inevitably is going to be involved with the whichever leader in the Senate is of the party that is not the president's party, uh, will be probably doing the picking. When you say probably, how is this actually operationalized? Do you know in the, like, what, what is the mechanism for ensuring that the, that the appointee is of a particular political party? Well, we're now in the, we're, we're now in the space of norms. Uh, so, okay. uh, I mean, the statute, I, th- I do think so, um, I should have double checked, but my recollection I is should have to. the I, Federal I, Trade yeah. Commission statute says this, if it doesn't, um, certainly, uh, some of the other statutes, I, I know some of the statutes say this specifically. Um, well, if the if the Democratic uh, leader in the Senate, who like right now happens to be Senator Schumer from New York, uh, if Senator Schumer thinks the person is a suitable candidate for the Federal uh, Trade Commission, that person is a Democrat. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, you just rely on the fact that our political parties have been the two main political parties, Republican and Democrat, have been in existence since before the passage of these statutes that created these agencies. So I think that's what people were thinking would continue to happen, right? You'd have a Senate leader for that caucus who would play that role. So it would be basically consent among the parties within the Senate is what would establish uh, right. and, party ID of the party. Yes, and so you can imagine, uh, for example, and, and this I think has been happening with the NLRB, over the last the years. Na- National Labor and Relations, National Board. Relations Board. Um I, th- I I think uh and this could happen I think without regard to whether the statute requires that there be uh only a bare majority of any political party. Uh, of course you could just a president could just refuse to nominate people. Yeah. Right. So if you if you're if you're the president and you're confronted with the you know, oh, I've got an there's this empty seat. I can't put on it someone of my party uh so i'm supposed to nominate someone well i don't want to uh and eventually it would just you'd run out of a quorum right because i think most of these things most of these agencies have quorum requirements Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think that's happened with the nlrb it it ran out of people uh and um from the obama now there it was playing out slightly differently which is they were getting nominees they just weren't being confirmed right so the Republican Shocker. majority, right, was refusing to confirm and blah, blah, blah. And basically they can't issue authoritative rulings without the quorum. Right. So the 
the way all these multi-member, so what is this all about? Why are we talking about this? So the, the use of this multi-member commission design, and it's used in multiple agencies, is about trying to establish a, a mechanism where you know that both parties will contribute to the formulation of and implementation of policy over an extended period of time that no one president is going to be completely able to uh, dominate that process, both because they have staggered terms and those terms last five years, not four, and because even, again, if you're in a second term of your presidency, you have to pick people of the other party right under the statute so um and this is one of those areas where you know i haven't done a deep dive into the academic literature here on this i'm so i only have like vague recollections but like it seems to me there are two functions going on here like there's there's a third thing i haven't mentioned yet which i probably should before you talk about the functions which is uh, virtually all these uh, things uh, are protected by removal only for cause right uh so the the um and of course, Supreme Court litigation about this and Myers and then Humphrey's executor and all this stuff about can can the Congress create an agency directed by people who the president cannot simply fire for any reason or no reason at all? And the right. answer is yes, under current Supreme Court doctrine, uh, they can, Congress can create such things. Um, but that is itself, interestingly, a live issue in a way it hadn't been for a while. And I think that is very much on Senator Hawley's mind. So, I mean, one one function of one sense in which agencies might be independent is this is uh, that they're insulated from the president in this way that that once there's someone heading up the agency or some people heading up the agency, that those people are are entrenched against um, uh, against, you know, instantaneous political desires. Right. So they can only be removed for certain reasons. Right. And those reasons could be litigated. Um, another function you might have in terms of independence, though, is to try to remove the agency entirely from ordinary partisan debate um, by creating, regardless of current political control, um, uh, some kind of partisan balance. And that's an attempt to create an agency which is like producing policy that doesn't respond to the priorities of any one party at any one time, right? These seem to me to be very different, like insulation from the president and the promotion of nonpartisanship are two different things you might want. And right. what, you know, what I think what yeah. I think both of them conduce to is a a a a vision about policy coming from a place of substantive expertise. Right. As much or more as from a place of political preference. Yeah. So expertise could be one reason you would want to do that. Another could be that you want um, you, you prefer settlement over the long term, right? And you think uh, nonpartisan settlement is more enduring or will have more persuasive power. I mean, there are all kinds of things that you know, and I'd want to read about those and see how well they work. And yeah, and I wouldn't say nonpartisan. I would say sequential partisan, right? I mean, there there is a majority of three right. people on the commission at any given time, assuming it's fully staffed. And uh, so it's it's really about having bipartisanship in sequence instead of nonpartisanship. Uh, and in that sense, it's very much like the uh, parliamentary Westminster system, where if you win a majority right. in parliament, you get to enact your policy and you're the people who replace you in a subsequent majority that isn't your party is a different party can they'll probably keep the stuff they they find congenial but they'll also change some stuff as well yeah i almost always put nonpartisan in quotes and so i you know that doesn't come across over the 
over the airwaves, right. over the podcast waves. Mm-hmm. The pod um, waves. So, so I'm not suggesting that it truly is nonpartisan. I mean, the, the, the courts, you have a similar, like, you know, yeah. president appoints. And it, it's also, you could, be, you could view that as sequentially partisan, although the there isn't a regularity of appointment. Right. Um, there would be under my proposal for and Supreme Court nominees. But true. Under, and the, under t- the existing scheme, like, you never know how many... How many presidents you're going to have to go through in order to turn over a particular circuit or the Supreme Court? But right. that's but it's still sequentially partisan. Yes. Um, but you might also say no, it's nonpartisan because the way that they're selected uh, is meant to encourage kind of a um, uh, you know non non responsiveness to current partisan majorities. Yeah, and and the, it's funny because we're using we can tell like we're using words that don't seem as if they're temporal to to address a temporal thing, yeah, yeah. which is like telescoping or like lengthening or shortening the amounts of time it takes to do something. Right. Current majority. Yeah. Extended over time. Like it's all about time. Right. And and the cycle of time. And slowing down the policy cycle of time in connection with party ID. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, we're kind of lumping together a technique, uh, um, an entrenchment, an uh, you know, um, insulation technique that could be very different depending on the time. So I think it's just a really, it, it, it's not like qualitatively the same institution if you have five members who serve staggered 20-year terms as it would be staggered one-year terms. Or sure. Or, or yeah. five-year terms, I mean, you know, right. right? I mean, they're just, you know, the, the sometimes the quantitative amount of entrenchment or um, insulation becomes qualitative. Right. If extended long enough. Yeah. So that the temporal stuff matters a lot, I, I think. And, and so when you look back at the Hawley proposal and you say, ah, he wants to, which is what the headline wrote or focused on, right? He wants to take the commission, reduce the number of persons in charge of it to one, and then move it inside the Justice Department. Well, as he, his proposal explicitly talks about, right, uh, that person would, of course, report to the Associate Attorney General, uh, because that's what all Assistant Attorneys General do. Um, and... Uh, that of course the associate attorney general uh, reports to the attorney general um the associate is this person who sort of m- m- does a lot of management of day-to-day operations and then there's a, a, in between there's the deputy attorney general i suppose um so ag deputy ag associate ag uh and then assistant ag uh all of these people are fireable by the president right uh, without cause and uh i think that is he ex- is explicit about uh, labeling this as a, a way to promote accountability, uh, and it certainly does that. So it's consistent with the so-called unitary executive theory that the executive power, you know, in, in including all the executive departments and all the all of the manners in which um, the U.S. government acts um, uh, in the external world, should be within the power of the singular person of the president of the United States. Yes. And that, and what that means, what that translates, it translates into maybe many things. But one thing that it um, should require is that anyone who is um, carrying on um, activities on behalf of the United States should be immediately fireable by the president of the United States. And and the power to hire and fire, hire is a little, you know, you need Senate consent for a lot of folks, not not for everybody. But uh, um, but once they're there, if the president doesn't like what they're doing president should be able to fire and that's a way of controlling right yeah um, their activities uh, so the president should ultimately be able to control all of the activities of course subject to the judicial review and and acts of congress yeah and uh so to propose that this thing get moved from a five-member multi-member independent commission model into a fold it back into the doj a cabinet department with uh, the attorney general at the head of it and this 
as you say, reporting structure that leads directly to the president um, and that people understand well does not involve removal for cause only, uh, involves removal for any reason or, or no reason at all. Um, th- th- that is, uh, yeah, it's an approach to accountability um, that emphasizes the fact that the president and I, it, lots and lots of people have commented about the fact that Senator Hawley clearly sees himself as a future occupant of that office. Um, the president gets to control personally <laughs> by just firing folks and that that's good for policy. Now, that well, makes policy more responsive. Well, there are two reasons, right? And, and, what, it, and what, it, it may be. One reason people give is just the text of the constitution, the kind of more originalist textual kind of explanation for why there should be, you know, um, you know, why there should be singular power within the president of the United States. Yeah. It's funny, though, because, it yes, people make that argument about this uh, and this, uh, you know, Fed sock fever swamp of unitary executive stuff. Um, but the but the, you know, the Constitution doesn't address explicitly or even it seems to me very much implicitly how much flexibility Congress has within a general frame. That says, of course, you know, the president is the executive. It's the executive power is vested in the president. Sure. Uh, But they're not all sealed boxes. They're boxes that interact. And how much flexibility does Congress have to do things like create five-member commissions, right, where someone's removable only for cause? I mean, there was a time when, uh, indeed, um, there there was an enormous dispute about uh, whether the president could fire someone without the Senate's consent. The argument made at the time, this is early in the country's history, if I remember correctly, the argument made at the time was, well, you can't hire them without our consent. You certainly can't fire them without our consent. Right. So the Tenure in Office Act, in fact, I think this is involved in Andrew Johnson's impeachment, was it not? Mm-hmm. Um, that you know the, the way that Congress and the president interact with respect to executive personnel it just isn't addressed in terms that are crisp enough to rule, I think, rule out or rule in very much at all. Mm-hmm. And my, my tendency in these matters is to say, well, in the absence of that, Congress actually has a great deal of flexibility to craft different things. So, the, well, the formal constitutional argument, you know, it, while, while it's there and there are formal arguments against, and it's less interesting to me, although I'm not saying it's not an important question, but it's less interesting to me that to me than the question of, of policy here, like how, what would good design be? Yes. And there, I think, you know, this is where, um, like a Scalian type argument about accountability is much more compelling to me. I, I'm not, I don't go along with that necessarily, but, um, you know, his argument for originalism famously has to do with accountability, right? There needs to, you know, it is a way to, if you, if you interpret basically textually and using kind of public meaning, uh, uh, original public meaning lens, then what the judge does is not really his or her political decision. Rather, it's channeling the desires about policy. Um, uh, it channels others' desires about that policy, namely the people who were around at the time of the passage of the thing, right, so that we deliver what they thought they were getting. And um, by interpreting it in that way, we have the effect of um, saying, well, this is this is our law. If you don't like it, you know, vote for somebody else, right? So if, if you do that consistently, then it kind of puts all of the accountability with the legislature or with whatever body was promulgating the particular thing that you're interpreting, whether it's the, you know, the ratifiers or the, or, 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 or Congress or state legislature, or what have you. Yeah. And so that is, a, this, there's a similar idea here, right? That ultimately what we want, you know, it, our, our, our principle here is one of um, control by the people 
ultimate control by the people. And that is secured by making it clear to the people who is to blame or who is to reward for different kinds of outcomes in society. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think if you took, I mean, a, a, a complication is that if you, I think, is that if you took that idea seriously, uh, there is a great deal about the design of the national government that you would change, right? Be, that things that really make it quite hard to figure out mm-hmm. uh, who to credit or who to blame. So the fact that senators serve different terms than members of the House, the fact that the full Senate doesn't run every time. Uh, well, just the bicameral legislature. The, right. The very fact of bicameralism itself. Uh, the fact that only one of the two chambers plays a role in confirming nominees. Right. Um, th- so there is a great deal uh, that m- actually frustrates. And we see this in actual fact. People who are frustrated by um, – not getting things done, like in right. Obama administration one, right? The the first Obama administration, like there, you know, people are like, ah, oh, well, the politicians can't get anything done, and and it's not clear to people was it that the president wasn't compromising enough, right. or that the Senate was obstructing? No, I have my views about that. Um, yeah, yeah, and it depends on which year within the first term we're talking about. And you because... need a lot, of, but you need a lot of reporting. In order to understand, absolutely, right? so, you know, it's not it's not self evident. So, the, if you really were prioritizing as a design principle that the electorate will be able to quite readily be able to ascertain who to credit and who to blame for national government action, right? You would not have bicameralism, right? You would not have people serving in different terms. You might not even have an executive who is outside the legislative branch, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, you'd have parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> and, th- and then things would go perfectly, just like they have in the UK. <laughs> well, it, hilariously, uh, it, people there are very clear on who to credit and who to blame. Yeah. They, they might not like what's happening, but there's no confusion about who's responsible. Right. And the, the, there are other aspects of the system, right? If you have first past the post versus proportional representation, right? So there are all kinds of design issues that you have to work through. But um, let's return to the Hawley well, thing. Interestingly there, let me just say one thing about Brexit, um, that uh, a lot of the arguments got meta, it seems to me, um, just following from afar. So our British listeners can mm. can obviously correct me, and right. I'm sure they will. Um, but the responsibility for Brexit, like it's this like let's get Brexit done attitude of some of the conservatives led by Boris, right? Right. Is about like this was the will of the people. So our reason for doing it is ties back to the referendum. Right. And the importance of honoring the referendum. And then, you know, some of the people who were supporting that like would say and it and earlier interviews seem to bear out that they weren't supportive ex ante of 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 Brexit. And so it gets to be lost. Like who really right. wants this right now? And it is interesting that the Brexit referendum it is it was itself a step outside the parliamentary system, right? So the d- sort of direct plebiscite on something is is not typical in that system, at least historically speaking. As I understand it, I could be wrong, but but it, it would be consistent with this view about having ultimate power in the people, and with the view that it's a good idea to be able to tell who to credit and who to blame, right? Right, and in that instance, you credit. Uh, or blame the people who voted for or against the d- outcome you like or don't like. In this I sense, mean, it's, yeah. I it, mean, it's, it, a, it's a yes-no thing. It's only one issue on the ballot. Right. It won by a certain percentage. We can actually look at, like, by exit poll, like, where do the areas seem to be where people voted yes and people voted no? And then we can follow up with more data about what precincts where people voted yes and people voted no. And so it's quite clear. And if your ERP principle is, is democratic accountability, That's all then good. it's going to push you generally to push 
decisions down closer to the people institutionally, if you think about the layers of institutions. So you would prefer a plebiscite over, you know, if, if uh, it was David Cameron, right, had, had called for uh, an expert Brexit commission to make a recommendation. Right. And then all the um, all the members of parliament pointed to that recommendation as the reason that they were voting for Brexit. Like that would be an obscuring layer of institutionalism. It, that might, with, yeah, you know, it could be. Um, and it would depend under on, this theory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but there are deliberative democracy models that you could have a commission that that actually was composed of regular folk who were yeah. meeting on a, in a certain way in a certain context. So you don't have to make it an expert commission. You can make it a people's mm-hmm. commission that works in certain ways. So there, you're well, right. I was going to say it's too, interesting. Right, pushing it down closer to the people is one, but also pushing it toward making more visible decisions is another. True. So, so if this if this expert or people's commission what got kind of a first crack at it. But its reasons and and processes were very visible. Then the adoption of those of of its of its conclusions by members of parliament would be the adoptions of reasons which were clear, and so we could hold members of parliament accountable for their reasons. Quite, you so. know, that kind of thing too would also work. But it's this push toward a visibility and b toward decision making closer to direct accountability. Um, and it's harder to get closer to direct accountability than a plebiscite. Right. And and this is the point in the program where the Swiss listener is saying, yeah, we're actually the only people who actually have democracy mm-hmm. um, because they rely so heavily on direct voting on stuff um, in the Swiss system. It's hard to believe that that could possibly work. <laughs> okay. Um, Switzerland's a lovely place. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would love cost to Cost of living's high, but it's a very, very lovely place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back to Hawley, uh, okay. uh, Senator Hawley and his proposal. Um, he's quite right to say that uh, the FTC's performance it ha- really is disappointing and raises some questions about uh, the the dominance of actors like Google and Facebook and other platform companies in the big tech era, uh, raising real concerns about harms to competition, therefore harms to consumers. Uh, I think he is good at picking up on genuine concerns that people have about uh, huge firms and the and the ways they might pursue interests that are quite divergent from those of consumers. So I think some of his critique about performance uh, seems well taken. Um, I, I, and one manifestation of that, although it's a not the only one, but, um, you know, a lot of people including a lot of people who are very far to the left of Senator Hawley are, have made similar critiques and do make similar critiques. So it's a like, there are lots of people who look at this and say, antitrust enforcement sort of been asleep at the switch. Yeah. Uh, and so, do they make do the left leaning critiques also make an agency capture argument? Because that's one of the arguments he makes is that the FTC is oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Given there's a revolving door. Um, yep. And, um, and so they're captured, and so their interests right. become aligned with the industries they're supposed to regulate. That's the and so some of what he proposes, like a, a you know a more demanding ethics rules that prohibit that revolving door. I think there's ideas in here that make perfect sense, uh, have nothing to do with moving the FTC into the Justice Department and making it a single head thing that mm-hmm. that person's fireable. Like I think that's all about this stuff on the right about independent commissions are bad, insulation from presidential removal is bad, uh, the Supreme Court was wrong when it said you could do that stuff. Uh, Justice Scalia's dissent in Morrison against Olson in the independent pro- independent counsel statute. He was correct. Everyone else was wrong. Um, that's what all that is. There, this is grinding that axe. Can I? I want to make I one in a big way meta comment. Okay. On this Holly document. Yeah. Um, and I don't want you to respond, although you can, because I don't want to derail the show. I actually found the document to be thoughtful 
and um and and I would say well reasoned in a particular way, even if you don't agree and you 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 have a kind of incoherent. I mean, you you see where things are pointing in different directions and you critique it on those grounds. I cannot square the sophistication of this document with the acceptance of and uh, of the absolutely insane um, uh, defenses of the president during the impeachment trial. Like this, I cannot square the psychology of someone who could produce something like this with the absolute, like I said, insane ridiculousness of yeah. of that whole exercise. Um, so I don't know. We should have Holly on the show to maybe maybe he could explain. Yeah, he's welcome anytime. He's, uh, I agree with you that the document is uh, is good. Does reflect sophistication and thought. Does reflect the fact that uh, as someone who was a state attorney general, uh, he see, can see the yeah. value of the right. concurrent enforcement authority that he's proposing, so that the state attorneys general can do enforcement of the same stuff that the federal trade commission, you know, sort of reorganized and, and put back and put within the umbrella of the DOJ, like that, that concurrent authority, of course he sees the value of that. That's it's, a very it's a serious, a, it's a serious, pro- it's not one of these of like chaos monster proposals. Not like we all. should like abolish the department of whatever. And right. uh, it is that, but, but in a thoughtful way. No, I right? agree. Um, um, and, yeah. and again, the, the title overhauling the federal trade commission, like, Hey, like, I love it. I, I've, I've got a lot of ideas of my own, I'd like to suggest. But uh, but there is some r- real uh, v- deep incoherence about uh, wh- what the real goal is. That makes me question. All right. Well, so, so take take out the state attorneys general concurrent authority thing for a second. Well, I'll, I'll have you explain that in a second. But what's your problem with moving it in? So if we move it in the DOJ, it does seem to make the decisions of the, one argument is it makes the decisions of the FTC or the or its remnants or whatever it is within the DOJ more accountable because if the if the FTC the new FTC does something um, that people don't like uh, then you can blame somebody who the president can fire and therefore you can ultimately hold the president accountable for these things I'm not super persuaded by these like accountability arguments because agencies do things which get lost in presidential election cycles. So I'm not sure yep. exactly how this works. But yeah. And, it's, and of course, that? it's not more or less accountable. As we were talking about before, you, that's one way to phrase it. And it might not be the most illuminating way. Um, maybe the illuminating way to phrase it is it's accountable on a different time frame. Mm-hmm. And it's accountable to political actors. You in mean, it. as it is now, it's accountable on a different time frame. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's not like there's accountable and not. It's right. there's accountable in X years and accountable in X plus Y years. Right. And that uh, interacts with presidential administrations it also interacts with congressional majorities um the the power of the purse stands behind all of this stuff right so if if they want to direct in the very next annual appropriation that the federal trade commission can use money to do this and not to do that mm-hmm. they can do that anytime they like so that kind of accountability is present and has always been present and will always be present uh, they don't use it it uh, apparently, but, um, but they would say that's part of the problem. Like, so the FTC is say under enforcing, or or there's a a, a a huge privacy hole that people are taking advantage of, and people are saying, why didn't the FTC do more? Um, and they may not even may not even know like the FTC is the right one to do it because there's also this authority over in the Justice Department. But somebody should have been doing something. People are thinking right, and they're sure. wondering like, who do I blame? And some people say, well, you know, Congress didn't give them the authority for this, or they didn't give them enough like money f- to do this, or they could have taken away this authority as punishment for not doing that. But there's also the president, like because this is an agency within the executive branch. But then people say that the president can't fire these people, has no direct control, and so you know one of the problems here is people are saying I don't know who to you know whom to blame because. Um, although those techniques that you mentioned are there, 
Um, it's not clear, you know, there, there are several different techniques. I don't, I, who, who do I blame? As a citizen, if I think the FTC is doing a bad job. Uh, I think you look at the, if you're a little bit more granular about, quote, the job. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about a specific issue, privacy or a specific company, Amazon or whatever. Right. Right. Um, You can say the commissioners who were there when that decision got made. They're the people who are most directly responsible for whatever the decision was. Right. They're the commissioners. Now, who put them there? Who can fire them? For what reason? Etc. Yeah. Uh, if and if people think, you know, I want an answer to the accountability question that's simple enough for me to understand in you know two seconds or less on any issue, no matter how complex, I don't know what to say because that's that's not. It seems to me that's not on offer. Mm-hmm. We there. This is not a town of five thousand people. It's a yeah. country of three hundred and fifty million people, and so. <laughs> and you know the job quote the job they're not getting the job done okay well you know is it let's take one of the things he talks about in his document um lacks uh, enforcement of the laws l- preventing mergers that are anti-competitive mergers that harm competition right um you know why were uh, google and facebook able to go on the buying sprees that they have been on for some years without the merger enforcement authorities well okay the DOJ has merger enforcement authority, as does the FTC. So w- one question I have for Senator Hawley is, where is your criticism of the antitrust division? Mm-hmm. Why are you only criticizing the Federal Trade Commission? And you say, oh, because the FTC s- focuses on that marketplace and the DOJ focuses on different marketplaces. Ah, so having multiple people work on a thing doesn't always lead to the most effective outcome. So I need to talk to you again about your state attorney general proposal, which says things get better when you have more people enforcing a rule, not fewer people enforcing a rule. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the state so, attorney stated you mentioned a few times, but this is a proposal that the substantive provisions of the of I guess the Sherman Act and other acts, whatever uh, the FTC is has the ability to do, right? Is how is I think how he puts it. So would also be given concurrently to state attorneys general, which by the way sounds like a quite interesting idea. Uh, an idea that's consistent with there being both a, an antitrust division and a separate federal trade commission. Because yeah. the, the, there, the theory would be the same theory in both instances. The more people who can enforce a standard under different circumstances and with different capacities and different interests, the more enforcement you might get that's useful and helpful. That's a theory. It's not the only one. Um, but at least it's coherent um, because it's being applied in both instances. Uh, so, I, you know... I think there's lots of, and Senator Warren does too. I think there's a lot to be critical of in terms of the last 15, 20, or 30 years of antitrust enforcement. That, that's, and there's no doubt about that. Um, I, I don't think, you know, this proposal ultimately, and, and I think the critique suggest, the critiques suggest that the answers have to be institutional answers. And so, so he's right on both the, those points, seems to me. Um, but the actual details of this proposal is sort of like. No. Does does the FTC, with respect to decisions about whether to allow a merger or whether to institute an enforcement action, I, I, I assume it's got. I have know nothing about this, but I assume that 
It has provisions where people can petition them to enforce. Like with other agencies, you can usually petition for agency action, and they have. Is a requirement even if there's not that they have that they issue reasoned decisions about these things. Um, th- there are. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm not up to speed on the details of in just the way you've asked. Um, and compared to things like a petition at the EPA to regulate some compound, right, right, like right, right. But there, there, look, there are there are there are staff entities with with lawyers and economists underneath the commissioners, right? And they are getting public input and 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 public uh, pointers toward, hey, here's the thing you should investigate. Yeah, They're getting it out all the time, right? And they do as a and now. I don't know whether they're obliged to or whether they simply choose to, but they they release lots of instances where they consider whether to challenge a merger and they and they decide not to and then there's this lengthy set of public documents that explain why now the the most common version of that is it's because there's a consent decree right where in order to not challenge it the parties had to agree that there was this thing they were going to spin off so it would be independent and not included in the transaction right well that stuff because there's a consent decree that they're obliged to provide all kinds of public documentation in that process um but i think they do it even when there isn't a consent decree i'm just thinking of the larger administrative um state um defense that uh, a, a very good substitute for direct election of a decision maker is public participation and a requirement of issuing responses and reasoned decisions. So this is the notice and comment right. um, rulemaking as a, you know, we, I think we've mentioned on the show, like in, in many ways, that's like, it seems to be more democratic than, you know, who if you actually on the, on the ground asked like, why is this provision in this bill from Congress? Like a lot of times it'd be really hard to, sometimes people don't even know, right? right. They don't always read all the bills. Right. But when an agency issues a new rule, it has to, you know, issue the rule, it has to, go through a checklist of, 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 of things that have to be, you know, whether it's uh, federalism or paperwork or environmental impact, it's got to kind of go through these things. It's got to explain costs and benefits, why this is a good regulation in terms of costs and benefits, how it tracks with the statute. And then it opens up for people to comment and people can comment on this and right. then it responds to those comments and then it issues a final rule and then Congress can review it. And so there are layers and layers of, of kind of, of a kind of oversight. Yeah, that legislative enactments don't get, and I'm That's wondering true. whether you get it within like an office in the DOJ deciding, well, either we're going to prosecute or we're not. You know, they don't always have to have to go through the same kind of process, right? And, and even when there is that process, that process that you just described can itself have some uh, some wrinkles that that are troubling. So, for example, in the net neutrality stuff at the Federal Communications Commission, there's this instance where it seems like the agency just got overwhelmed by by bots. Yeah. Uh, And so you have to, if you're, when you're doing notice and comment, you have to have some sort of ability to say, yeah, these were actual comments from actual human beings (laughs) and not Russian trolls. Well, notice and comment does have something. It does have the word comment in there. And as anyone who's blogged, (laughs) when you open up comments, it's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, the, the, um, I mean, I think it's, I, I agree with you that it is a, a serious uh, and thoughtful proposal uh, about a, and I think it's a serious set of issues and concerns about competition and the presence of, uh, and and how to, how to effectively ensure competitive markets in platform economies that have these extremely sticky and tippy uh, tendencies to, uh, focus on a single entity right to the exclusion of other entities um so so yeah i mean it's it, of course it's serious um i 
this strikes me as as a, not a serious, ultimately not a serious, coherent effort to actually address a problem. Hmm. It's it seems very uh, uh, it seems to be working against itself in some parts. Yeah, feel like. Although, and, and to feel yeah. more campaignish than uh, than policy. But. There, are there parts of it that strike me as very serious, and and I, I'm maybe yeah. I'm not as troubled as you are by the contradiction. I mean. If you want more enforcement, this is a way, you know, have more enforcers, but also you want more accountability and it may work against that. I don't know. It seems right. – well, no, And that's the thing that's yeah. sticking in my craw the most is that like in, in this, at this time of all times to be suggesting that something <laughs> serious about law enforcement should be made more powerfully subject to the president's whim – yeah, is just alarmingly bizarre. Well, that's so. I mean, to me, it's like, not. That's it's just, not uncommon that you would have one desire uh, in terms of policy, but achieving it has these consequences, which you predict. And to ameliorate those consequences, you choose some other policy lever that so that if the first choice goes off the rails, there's always kind of the backup, right? And and so, you know, the, so, so you know. William Barr or some future attorney general tries to bury something that would be in the public interest. Well, if the state attorneys general also have the power to, you know, that that ameliorates that possibility of corruption. If the concern you have about corruption is things not getting prosecuted or not getting done. Yes. uh, And indeed, we have another very vivid example of that again within the last 24 hours, which is, um, you know, state attorneys general challenged the T-Bone a proposal to buy Sprint. Right. So this is literally not only an example, an antitrust example, right? Yeah. Of a merger that the that the federal authorities chose not to challenge. State attorneys general chose to challenge it. Apparently, the trial judge today has ruled that the transaction uh, can go forward. Um, that strikes me as I have not read the opinion at all. That is very surprising to me as an yeah. outcome, based on everything I'd been hearing about the case and based on knowing something about how U.S. law about anti-competitive mergers functions. <laughs> mm-hmm. So my hope would be the state attorneys general would appeal that finding uh, or that conclusion by the trial judge. Uh, so there is an example of just what you say, right? If if you give, if there's a concurrent capability of uh, state officers to challenge a thing that federal officers decide not to, that can be healthy. Because it can bring forward a meritorious claim, and I think this was a meritorious claim, and I, that's why I hope they appeal. Uh, but but the the general point is there, right? Yeah. So tell me uh, before we go. You know, the, this is the, this is the article from Joe that I want to read, or mm. the book that I want to read. It's about this uh, this idea you've had kicking around about the Federal Competition Commission. I think you called it that, didn't you? Call it something that? like that. Yeah. Um, and, and so you have a different institutional cure. For the same, for some of the same sets of problems, right? And and so, how would this be an independent commission in your mind? What would they do? What, would, would there be concurrent authority? It would, and, it, and it's it's sort of like the the um, the reorganization of of a lot of things into the Department of Homeland Security. It, it, an insight there was that siloing can be counterproductive, and my thought is that uh, a lot of intellectual property functions which are about regulating the, how markets uh, function competitively or not. Right. Patents um, in particular. Right? Patents, right. Um, patents and trademarks, that's in the PTO, which is in the Department of Commerce. There's the Library of Congress has the Copyright Office. Right. Right. Joe's making circles with his fingers. I am, and, and they're distant a, from each other. Right. They're not overlapping. Um, and then you have the antitrust authorities in the antitrust division of the Justice Department and the Federal Trade Commission, this all seems quite bonkers to me, right? So mm-hmm. what you would do is you would have a, f- a federal commission, um, and, it, and it seems to me arguable, 
it's probably the case um, that that we've got some commissions, the Federal Communications Commission and the Federal Energy, uh, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC. Yeah, um, we've got some commissions that are like applied antitrust for certain market domains, telecommunications industry in one, and energy markets in the other. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, <laughs> those probably shouldn't be separate either. I mean, I actually think there should be a federal competition commission that probably would include, and maybe it needs to have seven commissioners and maybe one commissioner is responsible for each one of these things, but like a patent bureau, a trademark bureau, a copyright bureau, a telecommunications bureau, which might have some sub bureaus for wireless wireline, um, energy bureau, right? Um, so that there is a single place that is about how do we make markets function effectively? Right. And and you would gather, you'd be able better to gather expertise and modeling and all that. And have it communicate across much right. thinner boundaries that aren't so siloed, right. right, within a single agency so that everyone is thinking through the many dimensions of competitive market structure and design have that you involves about... IP and yeah. involves antitrust. No, I get and it. Is blah, 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 blah. Have you thought about doing that with like um, an analog of the Council on Environmental Quality? which is a White House office. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that it does, uh, that it's supposed to do, is to kind of coordinate um, the, NEPA, the NEPA process. Yeah, the yep. interagency environmental impact study process. Because so, you know, lots of environmental laws require um, similar things from very different agencies, and they require consultation among agencies. Yep. And, and so one there's a, there's a coordinating function to be had there that is through CEQ. Yeah, and I, and I think the Council of Economic Advisors, if it wanted to focus on this stuff, could do this. Could do this, but but of course it has a lot of things to focus on, uh, and so a lot of this is just about focus and agenda setting and and capacity. Right. And I think yeah, you could have a council of instead of a council of economic advisors, you could have a separate council of co- competition advisors, right? Uh, or a, a council on com- uh, competition quality. And you could put it in the executive office of the president, like, C- like CEQ, and maybe that promotes accountability. It's very close to the president. I don't know. Right. Uh, and and th- those people, of course, would serve at the pleasure of the president, uh, the people on this council, as opposed yeah. to the people who are in the FEC or FERC or SEC or whatever the agency you're talking about is. Yeah. So which of those right? do you prefer? Do you prefer that insulation um, for your competition commission or well, do you prefer the competition office? Oh, no. The, yeah. The competition commission would, I think, would need to be a multi-member commission removed for cause along the FTC model. Staggered th- and partisan Yeah, I'm very balance. much, I'm very, <laughs> I see the wisdom, uh, like I'm the opposite of uh, Senator Hawley, right? Uh, uh, I see the, the benefit of that insulation from the whims of the president in more favorable terms than I ever have before. So, you, so you, I, I too right. read the headlines. So you see lack of expertise rather than lack of accountability is the bigger danger. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So this has been Competition Corner. Oh, nice. Hmm. And and I didn't even say, but I am now, so I'm ruining it. Mm. Maybe I did earlier, but you didn't hear. Um, it is antitrust, not antitrust. You did say it. I think you might have even said it more than once. I, I want to say it again. I I'm, can't say it enough. I just tune it out. <laughs> uh. I just think it's more emphatic. And I heard another antitrust scholar. I think it was in relation. I don't remember where this was, you say antitrust, and I, I took okay. no, I took note of that fact. You know what? I'm uh, let a thousand pronunciations bloom. I, or maybe just two. I can't imagine another one. But uh, fair enough. Uh, yeah, and, that's great. Antitrust. I don't. I, I, don't uh, I don't seek to 
prevent you from saying antitrust? I would I would like you to cease <laughs> trying to prevent me from saying antitrust. <laughs> uh, and then that's good. I'm that's, just I'm just encouraging you to take a more emphatic position against trusts. I, people who know me know it would really scarcely be possible for me to take a more emphatic well, position on, you know, on substance. But it, well, one way is to is to, take, <laughs> is, to, is to use a stronger pronunciation, or just yell the the pronunciation that I use yeah. now. Just yell the word instead of say the word. I could do that. Mm-hmm. That seems a bit odd. Well, this feels like a show. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, we uh, all, all corrections to um, these these are petitions. That we will receive, oh, which we will provide reason responses to, um, and um, in our next, you know, in in, in the next uh, show or whatever. Yeah, this should have been the email address. It could have feedback been, at oralargument.org. Right, but it, you could have said petitions for reasoned responses at oralargument.org. I mean, that would have. But been... unfortunately, unlike we don't have a federal mandate to provide reasoned responses. To each, <laughs> right. So we right. can't. We can't. I, we can never promise uh, well, reasoned I responses. Mean, well, we could. I just think we'd violate the promise routinely. But... Well, that's right. We we can't make in good faith promises to provide reasoned responses. Yeah. I think that's or right. even unreasoned responses because we can't promise to respond. I think. Fair enough. Um, whether they're reasoned or not is going to be. It's for others to judge. I suppose. All right. And you got anything else for me, Joe? No. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? Ab- absolutely sure. I am sure that at this moment. Because I'm going to hit stop, and that's when the you're going to come out with something. I'm going to say, I wish this were in the show, but then I'm like, ah, I'm not going to start it up again. This right. is going to happen. I know it's going to happen, so mm-hmm. just say it now. Oh, I hit stop. See? Now what do you got to say? <laughs> Are you crazy? You're crazy. Uh, all right. <laughs>